Welcome to hey. the podcast. This is our first episode, Seasock Reading Club's first episode ever. That's right. This is a new endeavor for us. It's something that we're trying and doing. Usually, as a club, we read a book together over the summer and winter breaks. It can be hard spiritually when you're away. You're away from the brothers and sisters. You hadn't been in the Bible maybe so much. You're not in the regular pattern of all that's going on on campus. Mm-hmm. And so to endeavor to read a book like this, I, I just feel it's been so helpful for me. And um, now we're doing this here together, right, Kyle? That's right, yeah. So I, I, I'm Chris. I serve with Christian students on campus here at the University of Texas. Kyle also as Same. well. And Kyle, why don't you tell us about what book we're reading. Tell us about our author a little bit. Absolutely. So we'll be doing Normal Christian Faith, and um, that may not be a super well-known book for a lot of people, uh, but it's by a man named Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a Christian teacher, church planner, and martyr in China in the early to mid-1900s. So... um, He's he's fairly well known in the Christian world. If you if you read a lot, uh, if you're into Christian literature, um, you've probably heard of some of his books. Normal Christian Life is right. his most probably well known. Yeah. Um, but he was saved at an early age in China. Um, traveled widely throughout China, um, planning churches again, uh, holding conferences for uh, for Christians, and obviously preaching the gospel in China in the early 1900s. Yeah. Christianity is really just getting off the ground as far as the Protestant uh, version of it. And so, yeah, he tra- traveled in China, traveled to U.S., traveled to England, and um, really his ministry, Chris, focuses on the deeper experience mm-hmm. of Christ, uh, the deeper truths in the Bible, and helping us really get a handle on what is it, what does the experience of Christ look like, yeah. and how do we do it, and how does that experience Produce the church, which mm. is God's eternal purpose. So that's a little bit about, little bit about him. Um, and the book we're, we're going to be reading this summer and talking about is called The Normal Christian Faith. Mm. So he's most well-known for The Normal Christian Life. We're looking at a another one, The Normal Christian Faith. Now, what I love about this book, Chris, is um, I like to think of it as the mere Christianity of the East. Mm. So um, if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, uh, this is going to be a great introduction to Christianity. In fact, um, I was researching a little bit. The original title of this book was What is Christianity? I love that. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, What is Christianity? And what the, what what we've got in this book is actually transcripts of gospel messages at mm. a gospel conference. Wow. Ni was giving in China in 1936. So to me, that's awesome. It's like we're there. We're listening in. Totally. Uh, imagine yourself in the crowd. Uh, it's not like it is in America where pretty much everyone's heard of Jesus. Everyone's yeah. familiar with the basic stories. Um, we're there in the crowd hearing for the first time that's who Christ is, what God has done mm. to reveal himself to man. And then really, what is Christianity all about? Wow. And I think, Chris, as we read and our readers, uh, you guys listening in, as we read this summer, we're going to get blown away by a compelling and very experiential mm. presentation of the essence and the core of Christianity. Wow. So I'm excited. That's so good. Yeah, I'm pumped. I think it's going to be awesome. I read this book the first time when I was a sophomore in high school yeah. and really fell in love with it. And I think you guys are, too. I, I you know... Just hearing about where it came from and the context, he's preaching the gospel in pagan China exactly. amidst uh, people who have never heard the name Jesus before. 
never heard of the Bible, um, don't believe in God. I mean, that that's it just really kind of um, makes the setting yeah. so, I don't know, palpable, inviting. Yeah. It really kind of stirs my interest here. Let, let's transition to let's transition to chapter one. Let's do it. I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. Great. Chapter yeah. one, uh, the search for God. I love the way that he started <laughs> this book. I thought it was incredible. Maybe it's just that I don't read uh, books like this so much, but I, I don't think so. He, he opens this book with this quote. I just want to read this to okay. you and, and to all our listeners. Rather... I will make this place a law court. Remember, I mean, obviously, like you said, he's he's talking to people who That's right. have never heard the gospel before, and he's telling them what he's doing. I'm going to make this place a law court. Continuing the quote, I will ask you to be the judge, and I will be the prosecutor. The work of a judge is to make decisions to approve or disapprove the truth of statements. The work of a prosecutor is to present all the evidence and arguments that he can possibly gather before we proceed yeah i love this this is page four here before we proceed we have to be clear about one fact all prosecutors are not eyewitnesses of crimes a prosecutor obtains his information only directly in the same way i shall present before you everything that i can possibly find if you ask whether i've seen god or not i would say no I am reading or demonstrating what I have gathered. My job is to search for facts and to call for witnesses. You are to arrive at a conclusion yourself. And I love this theme. You know, he opens the chapter this yeah. way, and then it comes up again and again. You have to decide. Yeah. Does nature compel you to believe that God exists? Is there a God? You have to decide. I love the way he starts this and frames this whole thing and then keeps coming back to this theme. You have to decide. Is yeah. there a God? That's powerful. It's so and powerful. And Chris, I love that because, you know, I've, you know, I know you and, and me being in campus ministry, we've shared the gospel numerous times on campus. And one thing I think I've run into numerous mm-hmm. times is people kind of countering with the claim or the argument or trying to poke a hole in our presentation of the gospel by saying, well, if you could just show me God, yeah, I'll believe. Yeah, I mean, show me God. Mm-hmm. And I love how Nee kind of undercuts that by alluding to something that's so well established in our society, yeah. uh, law courts. Mm-hmm. And he's making the point that a prosecutor didn't see the crime. That's right. So he wasn't there. And that is no, really that, that does nothing to his presentation right. of what he says is evidence, arguments, and witnesses. That's good. So if we can trust uh, our judicial system in America to work relatively well, mm-hmm. um, I think that's a great way to think about this you know, in the end, it's faith. You have to believe, and, and the book's called The Normal Christian Faith. Right. So there's there's going to be no argument that's so airtight that it doesn't require faith anymore. Mm-hmm. Even uh, unbelief and belief both are leaps of faith. Wow. So no one, no one can prove 100% that God exists, but no one can prove 100% that he does not exist. But I think of this book in this first chapter gives us some super strong arguments totally. and evidence and witnesses to help us uh, in our belief. Yeah. That's a great way to frame it. Um, so what does he do after uh, what does he do after this this first framing? He uh, Yeah, what do you got? There? Well, I mean, I'm just looking at um, Sorry, that was my phone. That's fine. My phone's on silent. Okay. That was wise <laughs> of you. 
Well, he first, I I really like how he does this. Um, Now, again, you got to remember, he's presenting the gospel here live. And so you got to imagine him interacting with the crowd. And what he's doing is he's trying to undercut two um, kind of, he's he's trying to bring us down to size in our place in the universe. Mm. And so he really, he talks about qualifications. Is anyone really qualified to say absolutely there is no God? Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, so he, he's trying to say, are we actually even really qualified to say there's no God? Mm. And what he's trying to do here to me, I think, is he's trying to get us to put on the brakes a little bit and say, okay, look, I actually don't have the qualifications to say 100% there's no God. Yeah. At most, I can say, I don't know if there's a God. Yeah. And so what he's Big presenting here, right. he's presenting two... Um, Qualifications, the moral qualifications for our credibility. So, in, in other words, if someone's saying there's no God adamantly, then we should look at their moral credibility. Hmm. In other words, even criminals have arguments for legalizing certain crimes. And obviously, we're seeing some things in America, you know, people want to legalize certain things. And usually, those people have obviously their arguments for hmm. it. And that just because they have arguments for it or against it, we need to look at why maybe they're arguing for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe a number of atheists, uh, like he says here, it's it's more convenient. That's good. If word. there were no God. Yeah. Because then there's no accountability for exactly. sin. No one can hold me responsible ultimately. And morality is really reduced to a lifestyle preference. Mm-hmm. But what I what I love to do, Chris, on the gospel when I I love the I love this argument, the moral argument. And what I usually like to do is I say, um, you know, if, if if there were no God, there's no such thing as binding morality, right? Mm-hmm. And so that means all you can say about Hitler was that was a lifestyle preference <laughs> that I didn't that I didn't necessarily agree with. And you know, most people don't want to st- agree with that or yeah, stomach that, right? And so we all recognize there are such things as fundamental evil totally but to explain evil we have to have some sort of basis and Mm -hmm. so anyways he's just trying to bring us to the qualifications we can't say there's no god 100 percent. we at least can say we we're just not sure yeah and then the second one he's doing here which i really like is our intellectual qualifications Hmm. so this is he's he's making the point that actually man is very limited yeah so uh, you know he's talking about let's see this is Kind of on page six and seven, is man the greatest? How vast is the universe? And he really just kind of puts us in our place with how small and limited we are intellectually. Um, true. Even, you know, scientifically, things we've known, we thought we knew 500 years later, turned out that's not how science works <laughs> at all. Exactly. You know, heliocentric theory versus the geocentric theory, mm. um, things like that. It, it really just makes us realize as much as we think we know about the world, mm. we really don't know that much. Yeah. So I, I love how he's starting here with our qualifications, our limitations. Um, he's, I think he's opening us to consider, Yeah. well, maybe I don't know that much. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, I love really, that. I really like that. I, I, um, I was really compelled by the evidence mm-hmm. that he starts getting into and he starts talking about creation. Yeah. Um, and there only being two explanations for yeah, how everything ever came into being. Um, either it's through natural evolution and self-interaction, or there's a personified being with intellect and purpose. That's good. That that 
brought all these things about. Mm-hmm. And he uses a number of words um, to describe nature that I thought was really powerful and compelling. So when he talks about observing nature and how it moves, um, how it interacts with one another, he, he talks about when things happen by chance, they have certain characteristics. Right, yeah. When things are just at random, there's disharmony, number one, irregularity, number two, inconsistency, number three, purposelessness and insignificance. Wow. And and when he starts he starts describing, you know, looking at the grass in the microscopic <laughs> world and he uses these phrases like it's cyclical. It's yeah. patterned, it's organized, mm-hmm. it's structured, it's regular, it's rhythmic, it's finely fashioned, it's disciplined and functional. And the fact that when we look at the stars and the moons and the seasons and their definite tracks and patterns, we just realize there's an order I love that. to the universe yeah. that does not um, coincide, doesn't echo with something just happening by chance. Yeah. It really speaks of a personified being with intellect and purpose ordering it. That I love way. that, and I think that's I, I love that too, Chris. And that's something I think we can all readily affirm. I mean, things that happen by chance, we're always surprised. Yeah, yeah. we're we're like, whoa! I can't believe that happened. Yeah. Or you know, and yeah. especially if it happens a second time, we you know we're just we're shocked. We're yeah. like, I can't believe that. He used the example of throwing a chair against a wall mm-hmm. in the book. If you throw a chair against the wall and it lands in a particular position. You know, how likely is it if you threw another chair that it lined up exactly perfectly? Yeah, not likely. That would be, if it could happen for sure, but it would be very startling. Starting, starting, startling. 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 Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, contrast that with the universe. I mean, we can, we can, he makes a point that we can print, you know, the calendar a hundred years from now. It's true. Today. Yeah. And it'd be right. Mm-hmm. We'd know the dates. We know the comets that are, you know, coming that come around regularly. We know where the planets are going to be a hundred years from now. Yeah. How can that be if the universe is governed by chance? Yeah. So what he's doing here is trying to get us. We're not talking about Jesus yet. We're not talking about the Bible. Yeah. We're talking about the search for God. That's right. I love that. And I think this is a super compelling argument. This order in the universe, how could it be Mm -hmm. so orderly, so, um, Rhythmic, like you said. So, what were some of those other words he used? Oh, I, I just, I, I, um, let's see. I had cyclical, pattern. So organized, yeah. So purposeful, organized, structured, regular, rhythmic, fashioned. Exactly. That speaks to a creator. Yeah. A God who has purpose, wisdom, knowledge, power, who can order these things. Mm-hmm. I love that. Totally. Let me just bring in a verse uh, right now. Yeah, come on, bro. Um, I love this verse, and I think it's a great one to have on hand um, when we we would talk about this topic. It's Romans one twenty. Let me just pull it up here real quick. This is Paul also kind of um, making a similar point about the existence of God. He says that the invisible things of God, both His eternal power and divine characteristics. Uh, They have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being perceived by the things made Mm. so that we would be without excuse. So again, this verse is Romans 1.20. Paul is saying, we can see something of God, his power and his divine characteristics in the things made. And I think that's what Watchman is doing here. He's showing us 
some characteristic of things in the universe that we all can observe and we all know mm -hmm. that the universe is orderly, that it's purposeful, that it looks designed. Right. It looks designed. And what Paul is saying in Romans one twenty, and what I think Watchman is saying is that we can take that next step in saying, well, if this is so, logically there's got to be a God. There's totally. got to be a designer. Totally. And that's what Romans one twenty is saying. Yes, we can see something of God in his work of art, his, yes. his creation. Okay. I, I, I know, I mean, I don't know how long we're going here. I mean, well, anyway, we're just turning it on and going. That's right. <laughs> but the deal is, uh, I, I, I know we got more to cover, but I loved his uh, story or example about the house. Oh, man. Yeah. The house. With, you beat me to it. With T. Was it? I beat you to it. Yeah, I love that okay, one. Okay, bro, this is incredible to me. There, He's going down the road and they need something to drink, and he goes and he knocks on the door, and nobody answers. Answers and then he enters, mm -hmm. and they're wondering, thinking nobody lives here. But then when they enter, they find neatly folded sheets. They find a tea that's just been prepared. It's yep. still warm. It's inviting. And they realize because of the way things are designed here, because of the habitat itself, when you examine it, you realize somebody lives here. Yeah, That person is not visible to me right now. But in looking at the house, seeing that's how right. orderly it is, Surely the evidence compels me to believe somebody lives here. That's right. So also God with the universe. I thought that was such a good example. And how silly would it be for someone to really try and, you know, argue with you to say, well, hey, no. I mean, did you see the person who lived there? Exactly. I mean, how do you know that yeah. you don't you don't know? Yeah. Well, I mean, logically, how's the tea boiling? Exactly. How's the floor swept? Exactly. How's the bed made? So good. There's there's some pretty um, definite signs of habitation. I love mm -hmm. that example. And I've used that on the gospel too. And, you know, if you're reading this, I hope you could put that one in your pocket and, and also use it. Totally. Okay. And so basically, you know, he's spending a, a number of pages here on this one. Did you have any more you wanted to talk about on that? Bro, I want to talk the about chance I and wanna, the. I want to talk about the prayer, but I, but I know okay. there's more to talk let about. Me, let me get that. one more before the prayer. Yeah. Um, He's talking about the demand and its object on page 12, and mm. there is God in the heart on right. page 13. I love this. That's such a good point. C.S. Lewis actually makes this, this exact same argument that um, I think when you first read it, maybe you think, eh, that's maybe not the greatest argument. Yeah. This first argument he's using is, is to me, I think, is stellar about mm. the, de, uh, the, object, the um, argument from design. Mm. The universe right. appears designed. Right. So there's got to be a designer. The second one, I think when you first read it, maybe you're not as um, convinced. Mm. But the more you think about it, there's actually a really deep logic going on here. I love this. He says, wherever there is a desire, there must first be an object for that desire. And then he talks about the yearning for um, society, mm -hmm. the yearning for a social identity. Right. So he talks about if, you know, if someone was born on an island and, you know, he would have a desire, even though he grew up all alone, he would have a yearning for human relations. Mm -hmm. And the only way that that would make sense is if there were really that reality out there somewhere. Yeah. Or, yeah. for instance, hunger. Mm -hmm. the, the, the fact that we hunger food, hunger for food, that we get hungry, proves there's got to be something called food that has an objective reality yeah. apart from ourself. Um, and then he makes the point that among all civilizations, high, low, advanced, east, west, 
um, throughout all of time, they've all manifested a craving for God. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And if you think about it, that that kind of alludes and points to the fact that there must be a God Definitely. to satisfy that craving. Definitely. And if we can't fill that craving in this world, that means that that craving is satisfied in in the eternal realm, the spiritual yeah, realm. That's right. I think that's a great, great argument. Mm-hmm. Let me also re- read this quote here. Um, I pulled up because it really reminded me of this. Uh, let me find it real quick. Oh, you got a lot of notes here. Yeah, this is good stuff. All right, all right. Okay, this is um, this is actually Shakespeare. I love this. He says, "I have immortal longings in me." Wow. So Shakespeare is kind of. You know, also echoing this thought here, I have mm. immortal longings in me. We all have a deep craving. That's based on our spirit, right? Yeah. We have eternity in our heart. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And then here's one more. He mentions um, the words in the heart on page 13. Mm. He says, um, your mouth can say as much as you want about there not being a God, but your heart is on my side. Yes. This is a conversation he's Powerful. having with an, with an atheist. Powerful. Although one can give all sorts of reasons in the head... There is a belief in the heart that no argument can defeat. That's right. And that reminded me of this Francis Bacon quote. He says something very similar. Atheism is rather in the lip than in the heart of man. Yeah. So we may have a lot of good arguments mm. in our head and our in our mouths, yeah. but there's a desire in our heart that's made for God. That's right. And it's it's that's a great experiential argument you can point people to to say, hey, how do, how do all societies have that longing? There must be a God. Yeah, that's right. I like that. It really speaks um, experientially of something that we um, experience before we receive Christ. That's true, exactly. Before we get saved. Uh, everyone has this longing. They may not know how to describe it, but everybody has it. And once you receive Christ, it gets filled up. That's right. And and, and to me, um, even if you have the all the right words and all the right arguments and you can defend and deflect and do this or that, this kind of point, that's the one that stays that's with right. you when you can't sleep at night. That's right. When yeah, you can't sleep, you realize you're still not satisfied regardless yeah. of the accomplishments and the, the, uh, the relationships and what's missing. I'm hungering for God. That's right. He must be real. That was really good to me. All right, what do you want to say about prayer? So the prayer, I I just thought that this um, point kind of, I don't know, it spoke to me of more of the kind of atheism that I feel like we experience in our culture today. Okay. You know, Watchman Nee, he's operating and ministering within a a culture that is not Christian, right. uh, but is vehemently uh, a kind of vehement atheism opposed. Okay. You know, you read the, you read the stories. You know, there's people attacking him. They're coming to hit him. They're coming to yeah. knock him down. They're spitting at him. You yeah. know, um, I, I don't know about you, but I don't experience that kind of atheism so no. much. Yeah, in I haven't. Modern day America. I, what I experience a lot more often is um, more of a um, more of a an uninformed kind of apathetic. Um, well, that that religion stuff's good for you, kind of a good for you right. kind of atheism. I'm like, uh, yeah, I just don't know that much about it. Never gone to church. Not that interested. 
that's that's more right. of what I experience when we're on the gospel, interacting with students, interacting with people. Yeah. So like a hey, that's great for you. Yeah. That's your thing. Great. Cool. I'm glad it's your thing. Great. Not for me. Yeah. But good for you. Yeah, I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Which is, I, I don't think is the same kind of atheism that Watchman so. Nee is facing here. You're but right. That being said, I thought these questions that he asks in the "Is Prayer Answered?" section, I thought these questions that he asks would would be so applicable if we were having a conversation over coffee with a college student, void of God, in the University of Texas. Listen to these, some of these questions. Can you prove that not even one of these many prayers throughout many years and among many people has been answered? Mm. Are you so bold as to brush aside with one stroke the validity of all answers to prayers? Can, I mean, can you say that nobody yeah. ever had an answered prayer? Yeah. Can you say that? I mean, it, you know what I mean? It's it's gentle, but at the same time, it really, really makes you think. It really makes them think, can I say that? Yeah. Is there no God? Listen to this one. Friends, do you think that there has never been an answer to prayer? Would you say that all answers to prayer are false? Is it conceivable to regard them all as mere coincidences? Mere coincidences. Can, it, can they all be mere coincidences? Yeah. I thought that these questions... That's a great, great point. ...within our cultural context, very powerful. Yeah. Very applicable. I, honestly, I want to pick some of these up and take them home with me because... Um, put them in my pocket, so to speak, because I feel like this kind of questioning could be very effective in our current cultural context. That's a great point. It also is a great reminder, you know, why keeping a log of your prayers and their answers is great because you (laughs) can point in your life, hey, look, I've got these answers and how, I mean, yeah, maybe, you know, if I pray for something very vague, Mm-hmm. It's hard to make that point, but the examples he's giving here are very specific experiences. Totally. Totally. The fog lifting, that exactly. one really stuck out. Exactly. And so, I mean, if you got a book with, you know, examples of your own personal prayers being answered, that's something great you could point to to a friend. Powerful. Powerful. Yeah. Really good. Well, that's all I've got, Chris. What, okay. Do you have anything you want to close with here? Well, or um, chapter one takeaways? Okay. I, I, I love that we're doing this. Yes. Great I do. start. I love, I love that we're doing this. I love that I'm we're excited. doing this. Um, I just want to close with inviting our listeners to participate. Okay. So technology yeah. is such now that two people like you and I can have a podcast here at a certain place and time. And include the participation of others who are not right here and right now in this place and time. So, when, Sounds like an answer to prayer. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> I exactly, prayed for that. Exactly. So this podcast, when it rolls out on whatever platform uh, people are listening to it on, whether it be Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever, in the description, there's going to be a link that people can click to send a voice message. That's awesome. They can just click the link. They don't have to have an app or do, do this or do that. Just click the link, and they'll be able to record themselves um, sharing their favorite quotes, sharing asking questions that they had from the reading, um, fellowshipping with us. Yeah. And what we'd like to do, or what, what I'd like to do, what I'm proposing we do, is that we have some uh, kind of bonus episodes I love that. where we include those 
sharings, points, questions, talk about those together. And I really feel like this could unify, kind of collectively tie us together here as we're not in the same place, not mm -hmm. in the same space. Some people are doing internships. Some people are on missionary trips. Um, some people are going to be interning right here in Austin with us during the summer. But I feel like kind of employing this technology that's new to me could kind of be a cool thing that kind of keeps us really together cool. Absolutely. and kind of unified over the summer. So uh, for our listeners right here and right now, whenever you're listening to this, look at the description. Click the link. Tell us what you liked. Share. Ask a question. Share uh, a point that really spoke out to you. Um, we want to hear from you, and we want to include what you're sharing in episodes um, later on. Before we before we close, I just thought I just thought like a couple of ground rules, yeah. like we could just talk about. I mean, you know, this is the first time we've done this, so. I just thought it would be cool. Uh, well, I mean, we kind of already mentioned this, but just for our listeners, so that they know what's going on, um, how this things go, how's this, how this thing goes, is Kyle and I just hit the record button and then we start talking. Yeah. There's, there's so, no <laughs> love it or like it, <laughs> hate it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no like team of people that are editing and splicing, and we're just hitting the record button. We're and just we're in going. a room and talking. Exactly. That's, that's so, all that's happening. And then whenever we're done, we're going to hit the button, and then we're going to upload it. So that's how it goes. Don't expect a super polished, polished yep. uh, professional product. Um, it'll be as nice as it is, and it'll be better if you participate. Rule number two, this is not – I'm, I'm proposing this. This podcast should not be a replacement oh, of the of reading. Not. not why would you? Why would you want to listen to us versus read the book? Exactly. You're you're gonna miss. You're gonna miss a lot. You're gonna miss it. You're gonna miss yeah. it all. You're gonna miss a lot if you don't actually read the book. Listening to us should make you want to read the book. That's the hope. That yeah. That's the hope. Just to hopefully this uh, podcast can be something that stirs our interests, that engages our affections pr appropriately. I love it. Um, yeah. Turning our heart. To to the Lord and just helps us together really delve into um, what Watchman Nee is doing here with the normal Christian faith. So awesome. I just propose those two rules as we move forward here. I like it. How's that sound? Sounds great, man. Okay. Well, good start today. Good start. Looking forward to our next chapter, chapter two in a couple days. Exactly. We'll have it, have it uploaded and see you then. See you then.